0: Good morning everybody. We are continuing our series on Dangerous Faith, looking at the Book of Acts and the Persecuted Church and I hope that after last Sunday's message you were able to take some time to reflect further either in life groups or on your own um, and to think further about this subject and particularly to make time to pray for those who are suffering persecution at this time. I think we've got a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters who are in persecution. And the book of Acts is a great way into this. There's some great stories here to think on. And so I'm really praying that you would find this helpful and encouraging and that God would speak to each of us through it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm really praying that this might help you better understand why people would want to put their lives on the line for this faith. Some big questions there. We'd love to chat further if that's helpful. And of course, Our new Alpha course that's opening up might be a brilliant environment for you to continue that kind of exploration, that kind of conversation. Now, you may remember that last week we started the end of the book of Acts and now we're going back to the beginning. And so today our reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Now, Paul actually spoke on this passage about three weeks ago in the run up to Pentecost. But it's really worth looking at again in the context of this series. It starts off with the transition from Luke's first book, his gospel account of Jesus' life and death. And then it kind of covers Jesus' last moments on earth when he spoke to his disciples just before his ascension, which is the key theme for today. So I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And I'm going to read from a kind of contemporary translation called the Passion Translation. To Theophilus, the lover of God, I write to you again, my dear friend, to give you further details about the life of our Lord Jesus and all the things that he did and taught. Just before he ascended into heaven... He left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40 day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm and shared meals with them. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptised you in water, but in a few days from now you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it the time now for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and times of their fulfilment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. Right after he spoke those words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear into a cloud. And as they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up into the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way that you saw him ascend. Now, if you've read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus is often keeping his followers on their toes. In the years that they travelled with him, they learned to expect the unexpected. They certainly weren't expecting him to die in Jerusalem. And it was even more of a surprise when he came back to life and appeared to them resurrected. And then just while they're getting their heads around that, He tells them to wait in the city until the spirit comes, and he disappears from their sight in a cloud. We're gonna watch the next video from Ron Boyd Macmillan, and it's called, A Cloud Hid Him From Their Sight.
1: The book of Acts has a very bizarre beginning. Jesus disappears into thin air. And you think, well, what kind of a good idea can it be when Jesus gives the disciples their greatest task, which is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and then disappear into thin air. No wonder they kept on looking up at the sky, because they were alone with a world to win. And they might have felt a little deserted. And yet it's not desertion, it's design. It's Jesus' way of saying, now you go out and do the impossible things I did. I saw this at work through a Christian lady in China I once met, we called her Auntie Mabel. She was a doctor in Beijing, very well known for her bright Christian witness. But when the Communists came to power in 1949, everything changed for her. She was evicted from her large house, and she was forced to live in her garden shed. And because she was well known as a Christian, she was targeted. She was stripped of her doctor's post, and she shoveled sand in a work gang. That's what they asked her to do. And then when the Cultural Revolution got going, the teenagers, the Red Guards, were given power over her, and they came to her, they beat her up. They paraded her in the streets and they put this large sign outside her house saying no one must speak to her because she has distributed Bibles and that's not allowed in the new China. That's anti-Mao. And so she was shunned. No one would talk to her. And this was harder for her than being beaten and being put into jail. She said, I descended into hell. And she said, one night I came back, went into my little kitchen, and she said, I've had enough. I'm an old lady, I've had a good life. God won't mind me coming to heaven early. So she took a large knife, and she held it over her wrist, and she said one last prayer before she brought it down. She said, Lord, if this is wrong, help me. Well, she never brought the knife down. She put it away. She burst into tears and she endured another eight years of beatings and isolation and and victimization. She said, no angel appeared and whipped the knife out of my hand. She said, somehow God gave me the strength to go on, but I never knew how. And she said, all the time, I was always asking Jesus to make an appearance to me. Come to me, put your arms around me. Why must you be so invisible? she cried. And many years later, she knew why. Because in the late 70s, after Mao had died, China began to put the excesses of the Cultural Revolution behind it and the Red Guards were disbanded. But Mabel wasn't restored to her house. But even in her little garden shed, she began to receive a stream of visitors. And many of these visitors were very high-ranking members of the Communist Party. She recognised their faces from the newspaper. And even more astonishingly, they all had one question. Do you have any Bibles? And she was saying, oh, why are you coming to me out of all the people in Beijing? Why would you come to my house? And they would say, well, we remember during the Cultural Revolution, there was a large sign outside your house that contained all your crimes. And one of them said that you were guilty of distributing Bibles. I'm just here on the off chance that you might have some left. And so that sign that caused her such misery launched her ministry. It had kept people away from her during the Culture Revolution, but after she had endured, it drew them. And Mabel was able to contact open doors, we smuggled bibles to her and she became the first distributor of scriptures in china's capital again she was a vital supplier and even today there are high-ranking members of the communist party who owe their faith to her endurance and she said well it's been nice to know why it helps my faith but she said it was hard every day was hard and she said i never seem to get that prayer answered of lord Please appear for me. But she said, I see that this was for the best because she said, if Jesus had come to me, I wouldn't have done the impossible. He would have overshadowed me. He would have controlled me. But in not being there, he was giving me the space to do the impossible through his power. That's not desertion, she said, it's generosity. You will receive power, he said after i am gone up to heaven. That's what he said to the disciples. So the cloud that hides him from our sight is not a disaster, it's design. Sure, the disciples must have felt bereft, but Jesus is really saying, I'll send the Spirit and we will do all these things together, through each of you in a new and beautiful way. So we get invited to be his partners of the theologians say co-creators He wants us to do what he did to an even greater degree. Jesus ascends to give us the space to do the impossible for him and through him. Now that means space to fail, space to struggle, space to be unsure. And the characters in the book of Acts, they have their doubts and their disagreements and their struggles. And if Jesus had stayed, there would have been none of that when they have to decide in Acts 15 in the council, should the Gentiles become Christians or not, or be allowed to become Christians or not, Jesus would just have appeared and told them what to do. But he didn't. He let them struggle. He let them figure it out. Or when Paul was having his disagreement about who to take on a trip with him, and Barnabas and he actually had such a violent disagreement, they went their separate ways. Jesus would have sorted that out if he'd stayed behind, he would just have said, Paul, take so-and-so, Barnabas, you, you, you just deal with it. And yet that didn't happen. They got the power to decide. They got the power to, in a sense, create the will of God and live out the gospel in a much more intimate way. So even our failures, even our difficulties, even our struggles, become the means in which God spreads the gospel through us, just like Mabel. That horrible sign outside her house, it was a mark of humiliation. But actually, because she endured in the power of Christ, it was the means of her wonderful ministry. And that's a lady who did that marvelous job for for Christ in her 80s. So we're never too old to do a remarkable work for Christ. When Mabel looked back over her life, she can say, I did that. I endured with Christ's help and brought Bibles to Beijing. Mabel thought that terrible notice board was the end of her, and it was in a sense, but only so that God could make another beginning through her. And a cloud still hides Jesus from our eyes for all of us so that we get the same opportunity to do the impossible in his power. It's a risk, what a plan, but what an opportunity.
0: And I'm hugely grateful to Ron and to Open Doors for providing this wonderful material. Now Ron is obviously a great communicator and a great storyteller but I just love how his message is backed up with years of experience. You know he was a bible smuggler back in the day and he's worked with many persecuted Christians for many years actually and so there's plenty to chew on and talk about in life groups this week just from the talk you've just heard. But I want to pick up on just a couple of his key thoughts and I want to apply them to our own current situation. That sense of Jesus seeming to have disappeared I wonder if that resonates with you. I wonder if you ever find yourself wondering why he just seems like invisible, why he won't just step in and take over. I can certainly relate to those feelings. I've had plenty of those moments in my life and honestly plenty more during lockdown. But there is encouragement here for anyone who follows Jesus. Because as Ron explained, Jesus disappearing and leaving his followers to work things out on their own was not desertion, but design. It's actually the way God planned it and so I want to pick up on two of Ron's key points here the first one being this that Jesus ascends to give his followers the space to do impossible things you see Jesus plan was always to train himself out of a job to multiply ministry by recruiting and training a team and to get them going he called his disciples he worked alongside them for three years he talked them through their mistakes and then he commissioned and released them to go and do the stuff and so now it's their turn it's their stories that we read Acts, He promised them power for the task and he instructed them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and literally sets them on fire. Well, not literally, and sets them on fire, transforming them, giving them confidence to step out and start their ministry, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, planting churches and on it goes. And those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus now, 2000 years later, have the same calling to partner with him, with his mission in the world. And we also have the same access to that power, the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't a surprise to anyone who's been around Winchester Vineyard for a while. Our aims as a church have always been to get to know Jesus better and to bring his hope and life into our communities. Another way to say that is that we think of ourselves as scattered servants. We've always been ascending church, both locally and globally we believe in the transformation of people and communities and towns and cities and nations through the good news and the power of God we believe that Jesus offers hope and life and we want to live that out in practical ways that make a real difference you know we want to be known for the love that we show to those in need in our communities and there have been some incredible opportunities to do that in the last three or four months haven't there? That phrase scattered servants has taken on an even greater significance during lockdown, as many of us have been reaching out to our immediate neighbourhoods. You know, wherever we are, God is at work. And now as our nation starts to try and pick itself up after lockdown and work out how to safely navigate these next few months, there are some more very real challenges to work through. And there are plenty more opportunities to partner with the Holy Spirit. Because as scattered servants, we are called to kind of permeate every sector of society and culture. We're called to be involved in inspiring, to be inventing, to be renewing, to be reforming, to be restoring in whatever our sphere of influence is. And the Holy Spirit is always ready to empower us and help us in those tasks. So whether we're working in health or education, in retail, social care, in business or local government, in media or the arts... Whether we're in essential services, whether we're at home with our kids, whether we're supporting our local shops or cafes or schools or just reaching into our streets and neighbourhoods. Whatever our influence is, wherever God has put us, he is with us. Our communities need us to bring God's hope and life to them. And the Holy Spirit is ready to partner with us in that task. And not just a few of us either, all of us. And the second point that I want to pick up that Ron spoke about was this that our struggles become the means by which we grow and by which God's ministry spreads. I don't know about you, but I was blown away by the story of Auntie Mabel, I found it incredible. You know, life for her was so difficult that she almost ended it all, almost gave up. She went through eight years of beatings and isolation and victimization. And it wasn't till much later in her life that she was able to see what God's purpose had been in all of this. And what a remarkable outcome. So many people ending up with Bibles because of her ministry, which wouldn't have happened if she hadn't been through those previous 10 years. And she said this she said, Every day was a battle and it was hard. But it was good to see the reason for the suffering. That strengthens my faith. And I wonder if we can relate to those words every day is a battle, it's hard. Suffering is challenging, it's challenging on so many levels, and yet, we see it's the lived experience of God's people and the subject of teaching throughout the Bible. Now, Western culture doesn't get this. Our Western culture doesn't have a good explanation or reason for suffering. The pervading worldview that most of us have grown up in tells us to do everything we can to avoid or to limit suffering and pain. But the Bible challenges that idea head on. See, most of our culture believes that humans evolve without the help of God and that everything around us is the byproduct of chance. And if you subscribe to this worldview, then everything we see and touch and taste and feel and experience is all a complete accident with no meaning or purpose or design. And therefore pain and suffering have no meaning or purpose or design. They are at best an interruption or at worst an insurmountable obstacle that we just have to deal with. And so we do everything we can to limit their impact on our lives. And consequently, we assess risk as much as possible. We look to new technology to make life more comfortable. We implement as many safety features as we can. And we medicate heavily against pain. And we find all kinds of distractions from the things that cause us anxiety and stress. While at the same time, striving to make our bodies last as long as possible. That's the mainly secular worldview that we live in. But the Bible challenges that view. Because the Bible not only expects and accommodates persecution and suffering... But it actually places a really high value on it. Here are just four verses from the Bible that kind of express this point of view. 2 Timothy says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later in Matthew 5, verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And lastly, for now, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Suffering pain and trials are something which the Bible says every believer will undergo. And that actually experiencing hard times is a way to grow in maturity and get closer to God. Now, it can feel really tempting To pray for persecuted Christians to be delivered from their suffering. I could understand that. But actually that's not usually what they ask us to pray for. They don't ask us to pray for the persecution to stop. They ask us to pray for the strength to endure. Because they know that there will be persecution. The, The issue is not whether it comes or not. The issue is how you deal with it. So look at this passage in 1 Peter. Chapter 4 verse 12 to 14. Just a couple of verses here. Dear friends, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And I want to just finish by encouraging you briefly with five reasons why pain and suffering can be good for us. Five things that experiencing pain and suffering can do. Each of us in our lives, and the first one is this that suffering can deepen our love for God. C.S. Lewis said, Pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. You know, God is rarely responsible for the pain in our life, but often pain, in whatever way, shape, or form it comes, acts as a wake up call that God can at least use to get our attention. Pain shows us when our priorities are out of order. You know, we're called to love God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, but sometimes. If we're honest, other things get in the way. And so, when pain and suffering comes, it usually causes us to rethink, take a good hard look at our priorities. Because when everything in life is stripped away and we don't have the things that we want and we're feeling stressed or sad about it, that presents us an incredible opportunity to go to God and express all of that desire and all of that heartache to Him. It's not wrong. To desire good things it's human actually so rather than eliminate the desire like maybe a buddhist might try to we can redirect it and point it back to god himself to desire god first and foremost to seek him first to go deeper into his heart and to find him there the second thing is that pain and suffering can deepen our character there's a saying isn't there that people are like tea bags and it's only when we get into hot water that we know how strong we really are. The Bible talks about suffering being a test or a trial and also uses a metaphor of the purifying process of metal, which you can only do at intense heat. When you heat up liquid, silver or gold, you can see what's actually inside because the impurities rise to the surface. So then they can be easily dealt with. And testing for us is when we see what's actually going on inside rather than just the image that we project to the world. Often when we're going through tough times, We use all our emotional energy just to get through the day. And I don't know about you, but I find that at the end of that, I've got nothing left to fake it with. (laughs) And in those moments, who we really are becomes clear as we're laid bare before God, before the people around us and even before our own selves. And we're forced, whether we chose or not to, to take a long, hard look at our character. And that in turn creates an amazing opportunity if we choose to go with it, to do the deep work necessary in that moment to grow and mature. So just to recap so far, pain and suffering can deepen our love for God and they can deepen our character. The third thing is that pain and suffering can deepen our humility. You know, when we have a really tough time, it kind of creates a depth in who we are. A genuine, authentic, grounded reality because it reminds us that we are not in control and we never were. It's so easy to forget that. Our Western culture has this obsession on self-help and on taking charge of your destiny. There's a TV programme that my son and I love to watch called SAS, Who Dares Wins. And the recruits on the show have to go through an SAS style selection process. And they all think they're really tough at the start. And of course, they're put through all these incredible uh, hardships and, and tough challenges. And the staff on there are really interesting characters. They have special forces backgrounds. They're tough. They're resilient, very experienced, some incredible fitness and some incredible skills, actually. And they have some really amazing wisdom to offer about all kinds of things and they help the people who go on their shows to sort of move forward and it's really interesting to watch and there's stuff to learn from it but the best they have to offer is you've got to deal with your past, you've got to change your mindset, you've got to push yourself, you've got to take control of your destiny and I don't mean to sound at all old or derogatory but we are not in charge of our destiny and we're not the product of our choices even though our culture would try and educate us and tell us that that's the truth. Just like in the story of Job in the Bible, which we looked at last year in some detail, we may not fully understand why stuff is happening to us. But we do know this, that God is bigger than all of it. And that he's bigger than us and he's more in control than we are. And when we remember that, whatever our circumstances, that's humbling and humbling in a good way. Now, the fourth thing I want to say is that suffering can deepen our empathy. You know, hardship humbles us in a really good way. And then it creates an empathy for other people who are in pain and suffering. You know, it wasn't until I lost my dad in uh, 2006 that I knew what to say to people who just lost someone close to them. Before that, I had no idea and I just used to find it incredibly awkward and I did my best to avoid a conversation because I just didn't know what to say. And then I became on the receiving end of that. And I realised how important it is to show empathy and now if I encounter someone like that, I usually say something like, I have no idea what to say, except that I'm sorry. And that's a really good start. And once you've been through a difficult time yourself, you'll know that cliches don't work. And that actually, even if you've never been through the specific issue that the person is up against, you know what pain is like. And so there's a deep work of empathy and a solidarity. You see, if you're in a time of hardship, then one of the most meaningful parts of this is knowing that God can and will, if we allow him, use our suffering to help other people in their times of pain. And so lastly, suffering can deepen our joy. Suffering shows us all the stuff that we take for granted, and there's a lot, by the way, that we take for granted, and it exposes the depth of our entitlement as the things that we love are stripped away. But what can happen in suffering if we let it is with an ironic twist, not usually at first, but it takes a while, but we actually start to celebrate the simple pleasures in life. You know since lockdown happened people have been waking up to the climate all around them and the natural world in a way that perhaps they never saw before. I'm not much of a naturalist but even I'm aware of the birdsong around our garden much more than I ever was before. In the last couple of weeks it's been just fantastic to have the opportunity to sit in our garden and talk at a distance with one or two real people. I'm so appreciative of having just normal conversations, real conversations with real people, rather than having to do everything through the screen. And I just don't want to take that for granted anymore. You see, if we can accept our situation and change our mindset and make some really good choices, then we'll find that we feel a deep sense of gratitude to God for the things that might have seemed insignificant before, but which are actually good and beautiful and true and a real blessing. You can look at the New Testament passages about suffering and nine times out of ten, in the same breath, the writer talks about both suffering and about joy. That passage in 1 Peter is one example. In the same breath, he writes about celebration and joy and always rejoicing. And then he writes about grief and suffering and all kinds of trials and pain. And there's this beautiful juxtaposition. It's a time of celebration and a time of lament at the same time. And again, that's a biblical theme. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. He can turn our mourning into dancing. That's the Lord. His kindness and his grace. Reality, humility, joy. You know, pain and suffering have the potential to catalyse growth and maturity in all of our lives, which is something that Auntie Mabel was able to get her head around in China, despite things being so, so hard. And I think it's something that our persecuted brothers and sisters have learned something that we can learn from then something that God can teach us and help us grow even right now in the middle of lockdown suffering can deepen our love for God it can deepen our character it can deepen our humility it can deepen our empathy and it can even deepen our joy and one last thought that moment which Ron described Auntie Mabel going through where things just felt really bleak where everything was so tough she didn't feel like she could go any further That kind of experience is not unique to Auntie Mabel. Many of us have experienced those kinds of feelings. One writer describes it as the dark night of the soul. You know, those moments when things just seem so hard and there doesn't seem like any good way forward and things seem bleak. And it's not unusual to have those times. Everyone has them. The thing I want to encourage us to remember is that tough as they are, and they can be brutal, they are still easier to go through when you know that God is with you even if you only know it in your head because you don't feel it in your heart. The truth is God is with us. He's with us in everything, he's with us here and now and he's with all of those around the world who are suffering, who are experiencing pain. So why don't we pray together? First I want to pray for those who are experiencing persecution for their faith. You know there are some countries where people who choose to follow a different religion to their national religion will lose their citizenship. And there are others where they'll be the subject of violence or honour killing. And in some countries, just the suspicion that someone is a Christian can lead to immediate execution. And yet in all of these places, there are secret undercover Christians who are finding that the Holy Spirit is giving them the power to patiently endure. So we want to pray for those people today. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we want to pray for Christians around the world who feel trapped or confined by their government or society. Those who are stuck inside, those who can't share their faith, those who can't really even go out or be themselves. We pray for the strength to endure, for the presence of the spirit to comfort and bring peace. We pray, Lord, that you would show your power through them. We lift them to you and we ask you to be close to them. And to bless them in Jesus' name. And maybe if you have a particular country or person or place on your heart, then maybe this is just a good time to bring that before the Lord too. And Lord, I want to pray for us. Here and now, we want to give you the space to do the impossible in our lives. Lord, it seemed as if you had gone for good when you died, but your resurrection came only days afterwards. And so despite our own challenges, Lord, please come and use our weaknesses and our failures and even our doubts to reveal your presence and power in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. Lord, for those who are feeling really low in these moments, please come and bring peace. Lord, I want to pray for those who are experiencing loneliness and isolation, who are feeling on their own just now, who just wish they had someone to chat to or someone to see. Lord, I want to pray for those who are experiencing grief and loss in any way, shape or form. Those who've lost loved ones, those who've lost money, those who've lost identity or time. Lord, I want to pray for those who are experiencing stress and anxiety. Those whose life is just busy and full on and they just really need a break. For all of us, each of us in these moments, wherever we are, Holy Spirit, would you come, bring your comfort, bring your peace, bring your healing. Lord, for those of us who feel that our hearts are being laid bare. Give us the honesty to admit to that. And then by your spirit, give us the strength to endure. Lord, allow these times to deepen our character, to deepen our humility, even to turn our sorrow into joy. We don't know how that works, but we know that's a biblical principle that you can bring healing and transformation and encouragement to our lives. So Lord, where we are experiencing really difficult things, would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart to understand what you're really doing in us and through us. And most importantly, Holy Spirit, would you be with us? Come be with us, we pray. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name.